Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome to the Chronic Podcast. I'm your host, Ralph Marlboro. Thanks for joining us, finding us however you do on the interwebs. Uh, as always, we are joined by my friend from the Saints Nation, Andrew Juge. Andrew, the Saints have had linebacker apocalypse. Um, they're all dead. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but it pretty much did, in one foul swoop, uh, sort of put in danger all their off-season moves. Uh, the news isn't quite that bad. Curtis Lofton's going to be back with the ankle. Michael Hawthorne is only out three to six weeks. Chamberlain's out for the year. How concerned are you about where the Saints are at linebacker? Well, I'm pretty concerned. I mean, look, <laughs> I remember tweeting after the final signature of the three, and I think Hawthorne was the last. I remember tweeting, holy linebacker Batman, <laughs> and so, I mean, it was it literally the three guys they picked up that were supposed to transform this whole unit are now out. So we're basically back to square one, except that Vilma suspended for the year and Jolon Dunbar left. So now we're stuck with, um, I mean, if, if week one were today, we'd be with Scott Shanley, Ramon Humber, I guess. No, because he suspended for three games. Oh, that's right. So I guess we're with Barrett Rude. Um, Casillas and Shanley. So, you know, that, that's not a, a linebacking core that's going to uh, install any kind of fear in anyone. And, and I think it's, uh, if not a lateral move, maybe even a regression from last year. So that's not good. And uh, they absolutely need to get locked in, especially. I, I think Casillas can hold his own. Uh, they can move Shanley to strong, put Casillas at weak. And um, they can they can survive with that. And I think as long as Lawson's there, and uh, I don't think there's as big of a rush to get Hawthorne back. But uh, man, if they're missing both of them, that's that that changes everything. That basically the whole off season that they put together and the genius moves that they made, and 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 really, you know, when you talk about free agency, that was the the one that was the light at the end of the tunnel. That was the one minor excitement we had in what was otherwise an off season from hell. So. You take that away, and we're left with a skeleton crew of a bad defense last year, and um, so it, it's it's very concerning. And um, you know, but it looks like Lawson's going to be okay, and, and he's optimistic about playing Week One. So you know, hopefully that's the case. Yeah, he'll get. I mean, he'll get three. He'll get three weeks to rest. You know, I mean, he'll have the two the two yeah. weeks of preseason and the whole end since the Saints play on a Sunday. They don't open on the, the Thursday night like they have a couple times. You know he'll get three he'll get three whole weeks. And he said, "Hey, I had that I had that in Atlanta, and I at the end of the year and I played through it and didn't miss." Um, I think I yeah. You know, the, real quick about their injuries specifically. I mean, I know a high ankle sprain. You know, and obviously there there's varying degrees of it, and um, you never know how bad it's going to be and how quickly a guy's going to heal. But a high ankle sprain, man, that can last 
almost an entire season. So that that's a little scary. I mean, I, yeah. I've definitely seen over the years of rooting for the Saints, we all have um, players that have high ankle sprains, and it's it's kind of like a turf toe. It just doesn't seem to go away. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I have no doubt that Lawson's going to try to play through it. The one concern is um, lateral movement with him, especially as the middle linebacker, as the headhunter of the team. Um, he needs that quickness. He needs that, that burst of the ball. And uh, playing with a high ankle sprain, he, he may not be able to change direction as well. And that, that that's a huge component of his game. So, you know, even if he is in there, you know, he, that, that could be a drop of 10 to 15 percent. As far as Hawthorne, I'm less concerned because it's really good. I mean, he had a meniscus injury, and uh, he went ahead and got that surgery, and that's really important. Um, a couple guys that have had the same injury as Chris Paul and Brandon Roy, uh, both guys opted not to have surgery, and you can play through it. You know, typically a meniscus isn't something that um, would stop you from playing, but if you play with the injury over time, um, you're left with no cartilage. And so, you know, the bones start rubbing together, and that's one of those things where um, you, you know, if you look at Brandon Roy now, the guy can't even run. So um, I, I think with Hawthorne, you got to make that surgery happen because, it's a fairly quick recovery, and, you know, like you said, three to six weeks, hopefully on the, the lower end of that, and there's still a shot he can make it back week one. I'm guessing with Hawthorne it's probably going to be week three. Yeah, I mean, the the issue is I wonder if the Saints would say, you know, hey, guys, I know you can play opening week, but we're going to hold you out, and we're going to give you a couple, an extra couple of weeks. And – that's really hard to do in football because you only got 16 weeks and players are desperate to play. So it'll be, I mean, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Um, I think, like you, I think they could be, they could be okay. They, they need Lofton to play that opening week. I think, I think you're exactly right. They can get by. Um, they, they can get by with one missing. Both of those guys would be really tough. Well, I mean, their, their, de- their defense. If they're missing both of them, you just you say tell tell Breeze, hey hey buddy, get us thirty eight because that's what it's gonna that's yeah. what it's gonna take. Let's say your prayer. You know, because don't don't kid yourself with this defense. If they if they're going out in the game and they're having and they have Shanley and Rude and Casillas and you know they're not gonna have Will Smith and they're gonna have the new defensive line. And, you know the second. I mean don't don't kid yourself. I mean they're. The, the opening three teams of Washington, Carolina, and Kansas City are going to jam it down their gullet. Um, mm-hmm. And they're going to try to do that anyway, regardless. But I'll feel a lot better about the Saints shutting them down if they have Lofton, you know, and Hawthorne playing. No doubt. Um, the Saints also, Andy Tanner got injured. And I just want to say I felt really – I felt horrible for Andy Tanner because I felt like the seas had kind of parted for him and his shot – to finally make an NFL roster was right freaking in front of him. And he hurts his ankle, and maybe now his career is over. I want, Andrew, before the show started, we were chatting back and forth. Um, you're a former, uh, or a, a former, or a, I don't even know how to say it, a former, current, whatever, tennis player. Um, and you were talking about guys you know and how in tennis it just sort of, you're almost there and then it's over. Yeah, well, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's even tougher in tennis, honestly, because, um, you know, a lot of those guys, it's kind of similar to baseball. They have uh, future tournaments and challenger tournaments, and you're like single A and double A. It's, it's akin to kind of the minor leagues of baseball. So you, for years, you have 
the young players that are trying to navigate their way through these smaller tournaments and um, some of them it takes years you know I mean and you take your lumps you know a lot a lot of guys turn pro before they go college and so they're 17 trying to make their way through these and um, the ones like Andy Roddick that are good enough to kind of have success right away they go they get, get through pretty quickly and then they get into the top 100 and once you're in the top 100 you're good but there's other guys that, you know, they take a while for their bodies to develop. It takes a while for their game to get better. And um, it's not like the NFL. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? more confident, capable surgeons, and even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Where you get a paycheck every week, and it's, it's a consistent amount. If you make, you know, if you're on the practice squad or you make a team, you've got a salary. Um, in tennis, you reap what you sow. So it's all about making um, that check. You know, if you win a tournament in the minor leagues, and maybe you get a thousand bucks for that week, and that's got to cover expenses with meals and housing and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, the, the story I was telling you is about this guy that I knew um, that, that I'm really good friends with, but that uh, actually lives in Virginia and that I, I play with, um, you know, a few times a month. But um, anyway, he, he was a great tennis player. Got a huge contract from Nike at uh, 16. And at 17, he turned pro, and he got to about 120 of the world. Um, but it took him, you know, it took him a good six years to get there. Um, so he was 24 and uh, basically operating at a loss. Now, obviously, he got a huge contract from Nike, so that kind of kept him afloat for about four years. Um, and then he was operating at a loss after that pretty much. Um, but uh, he finally kind of made his breakthrough, made it to Wimbledon, got to the second round, almost made it to the third round. And two weeks, you know, so he got – Best ranking he ever had, 106, breaks his ankle. Um, two weeks later, his career's over. And so, um, you know, it's kind of similar to what, what Andy Tanner is kind of is going through right now. Now, luckily it's just a sprain, but um, it's one of those things where, um, you know, health is at a premium and it, it, you've got a short window to make it. And it's all about opportunity and a little bit of luck, too. Yeah, and I mean, I just, I mean, I felt bad for the guy. You know, I mean, he's been on the, he's been cut from the practice squad a bunch of times from the Saints. And, you know, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, for the first couple of years he was at training camp, I mean, he was there, and we were like, aha, Andy Tanner looking to make a play. Isn't that cute? But, like, this year, Adrian Arrington got injured. Toon got injured. I mean, it was – I mean, you you could make an argument before he got injured. I think he's going to be the fifth wide receiver on the team. I think – Yeah, no. You know? Look, he kept hanging around. He kept hanging around. And, um, you know, every – the Saints obviously liked him because – He's been on the team for, what, three years now. So he keeps coming back to training camp. So it's obviously something they like. Now, I, I think the main thing that's held him back from making a team to this point is just he just doesn't have the 
the talent. He definitely yeah. has the heart. He definitely has the hands. He definitely has the desire. He definitely works hard, all that stuff. I think at the end of the day, he's lost out to guys like Meacham that maybe don't work as hard, but just, you know, the, 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 the speed, the, yeah. you know, that, that's just something that he's not going to be able to compete with. But um, you're exactly right what you said when the seas kind of parted this year. Um, that's absolutely the case with him, and um, this, this was his chance. This was his opportunity, and the door was wide open. I mean, look, if the season had started right before his injury, he, he had that position locked down because there was no way they were going to throw Tune in there. I mean, Tune is almost assuredly going on IR, and, um, you know, Morgan is kind of up and down, and I just think Tanner's a guy that they trust, and, you know, unfortunately for him, um, now he, who knows? You know, it's just an ankle, so maybe he – Maybe he can be ready by week one. They reassess how Tune's doing. They reassess how Arrington's doing, and they make a call. But um, the one guy you got to look at now is Joe, Joe Morgan. Um, with all these injuries, I don't care about Greg Camarillo. I, mean, <laughs> I think this is Joe Morgan's shot. You know, and we, we talked about how Tanner, the sea is open wide for him. Well, now they are open wide for Morgan. And I know he's been inconsistent, but these last two games, he's got to turn it on. And, and, and you, this, this may be his only shot for the rest of his career to really honestly have a true chance to make an NFL team. Um, so, you know, you talk about, you know, one man's demise is another yep. man's fortune. And so um, with Morgan now, that's, this is it for him. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, didn't the, in, didn't, don't the IR rules, aren't they changed with the new collective bargaining agreement where you can put a guy on IR and it's not for the whole year? Um, that no, they're they're still working that out. Um, that I think that's open to change. And what what the idea is that they want to come up with a system where you put a guy on some sort of reserve injury, but you don't shelve him for an entire year, where maybe they can come back after six weeks or eight weeks. So um, the terms of that, I think that's still kind of being negotiated. And probably if it were to be implemented, it wouldn't be till 2013. Um, but yeah, as of right now, I think the rule is if it's if it's a player under a certain amount of years of service, and if they're not a draft pick, you know, so there's certain rules like yeah. that. But they have to waive they have to waive the player, and the player has to clear waivers. And then if he clears waivers, then the team can put him on IR. Once he's on IR, um, it's up to the player to try to negotiate a settlement to get out of his contract, where he can just spend the season on IR. So a guy like Chamberlain, he he's got a full three-year contract, I think, that's fully guaranteed or, or, you know, he's got a large guarantee in that three years. So um, the Saints place him straight to IR. They don't have to, he doesn't have to clear a waivers or anything. Um, but with a guy like, say, Chris Ivory, they, they, if they cut him tomorrow or they, they try to, you know, they, they'd have to waive him. They couldn't just place him on IR and he would have to clear waivers in order to be placed Yeah, there. I mean, that so, – So, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. I just – I don't – even though Tunes never, but I just don't see him get. I don't see him getting through waivers because some team. I, well, I think I don't think that rule applies to Tunes yeah. because he was drafted. Yeah. I think there's a rule about if you're drafted, I think you can place a guy straight to IR. So we'll we'll have to see how that goes. Um, as far as the Jacksonville game, the defense, the, the you know, it was it was pitiful. Um, the one thing I will say, most of the, a lot of the missed tackles were Patrick Robinson, and he is just back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, uh, Andrew, I, I just think 
that's kind of what you're going to get from this defense the first half of the year. Some weeks they're going to look good. You're going to see pass rush from Junior Gallette and Cameron Jordan, and you're going to be like, oh, man, look at this pass rush. Steve Spagnuolo's looking good. And then other weeks you're going to play Kansas City, and Matt Castle's going to light them up, and you're going to have to win 38-35. Like, I think that's going to be how the season's going to go for the first six to eight weeks. On defense. Definitely. It's not going to be, look, it's not going to be a dominant defense. Let's kid ourselves. Let's not kid ourselves. You know, it's not going to be um, a top five defense, top ten defense. I think they're going to be decent. I think they're going to be better than last year. Um, but I don't think uh, there's any mistake here about um, some of the glaring weaknesses um, that they have. And so, you know, we saw a little bit of that last year. Look, I mean, the Atlanta game, um, both Atlanta games, they really kept Atlanta's offense in check and came up with a huge fourth yeah. and one stop. Um, the Titans game, they, they shut that offense down most of the game and completely shut down uh, Chris Johnson. And um, Joe Lon Dunbar came up with that huge play at the end of the game to win it for him. So the defense definitely had their moments last year. Um, and uh, for three quarters against the 49ers, played pretty well, too. So um, I think you'll see some of that, and I think you're exactly right. I think there will be some games where the offense is going to have to put up every bit of 45 points to get a win, and, and thank God they can do that. They're certainly capable. And, um, you know, there will be days where the offense isn't playing as well, and hopefully the defense can can cut, you know, can make up for it. But I'll tell you what, it's healthy, and that's a big if right now because I know they're banged up. But I was right. I was writing you today. There's still a decent shot that the Saints will have their entire starting lineup on defense minus Will Smith for Week One. And I'd say the guy that's in biggest jeopardy of that is probably Hawthorne. And I think Jabari Greer is going to be back. Mm-hmm. And I think Lawson's going to yep. be back. So assuming they've got their whole starting lineup, let's let's just say Hawthorne makes it back, and they're only minus Will Smith. Um, I still feel pretty good about that starting lineup, and I still feel good about that defense. And so, yes, the Hawthorne injury is concerning, and yes, losing Chamberlain's a big blow. But if they have their starting lineup week one, I feel good going up against a rookie quarterback. And then you take it from there. You know, injuries are part of the game. They're going to happen over the course of the season. But um, I'm not one of those fans that looks 15 games down the road and says, oh, we should be, you know, 9-4 and four at this point or whatever. Um you know, you got to take it week to week. As a fan, as a player, as a coach, um, you never if injuries happen, um, your team, your roster is going to evolve over the course of the season. No, that's exa- that's exactly right. I mean, I, this season feels to me like, and I'll probably write it in my WWL preview. This season, it feels to me, Andrew, like it's going to be with all the distractions and Bounty Gate and all that. It feels to me like it's just going to be one of those seasons where it's a long, hard. March to get to 10 and 6. And, you know, it'll just depend on at the end of the year, like everything, you know, are they healthy? Are they not? How's it going to go? I mean, you know, look at the Giants. They were 9 and 7 for God's sakes last year, but they got healthy at the end. You get a couple breaks. I mean, the NFL really, it used to be, you know, when when we were younger and a kid, it's like, you know, if you had that bye week, you were golden. You know, and yeah. for years and years in the NFC, up until 2006, it was like they only had like for like a, I think of a, of a period from like 1990 to 2006 about I think only like three road teams won in the NFC in the second week of the playoffs. 
But ever since 2006, basically, 2007, it's been basically, you know, a mess. It's a crapshoot, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, I think a good way to look at it is you look at the running backs. I mean, back then, you know, in the years when Montana was winning Super Bowls with the 49ers, I mean, there was probably eight running backs that you could name off the top of your head that were like, okay, these eight guys are elite. But now, I mean, you, you can you can put – I mean, obviously Adrian Peterson yeah. and Chris Johnson, they're in a league of their own. But is Chris Ivory, who I would, who's the number four running back on the Saints on one team, is he really that much worse than most starters out there? Yeah. And so I just think talent has spread out evenly over teams. And I, I just think you're – you're seeing less concentration of, of, of talent pulled onto one team, and it's just spread out. And so, um, you're, I agree, man. Like all it really takes to get into the playoffs. Yeah, and I mean, the, you get in, you get in, and you're in with a shot. Yeah, get, get in, get yourself a home game if you can. But the buy isn't even that big of a deal. I mean, it used to be a huge deal. Now the buy isn't even that big of a deal. I mean, it's nice, but it doesn't guarantee you anything. Look at Green Bay last year. All right, Andrew, we got to get to freaking ESPN and John Barr's whatever you look whatever you want to call it look I like politics I happen to be conservative I love money I make no apologies for it whatever um but ESPN they're fucking they're like MSNBC or they're Fox they have an agenda their agenda is we hate the saints I mean they make this piece on Sean Payton like it's some sort of expose they're like oh he's he's a jerk he's He's uh, brilliant. He's petty. He's got a giant ego. Dude, that's every good coach in the history of the NFL. You know? I mean, I don't understand. There's no substance. Yeah, I mean, I don't understand, like, what ESPN's, like, doubled down with John Barr to support him, but they're not – they're not giving anything that people are like, wow. I mean, even Florio's giving them shit. So I don't understand what I don't understand like what the point of it is. Yeah, well, first of all, um, I I made I've made a uh, commitment to not be profane. Uh, it's on the amount of um, you know grief that I've gotten. Oh so, Lord! Uh, so I'm gonna make a really big effort here. Um, <laughs> all right, just, you can be as profane as you want. Dave just needs to put a warning on there. Yeah, exactly. No, no, but um, so. It's really strange. You know, you, you look at how John Barr has handled this. And uh, once the news came out that, okay, the police said, we're clearing Mickey Loomis, there's no evidence, or, you know, we, we couldn't find anything to substantiate this, this accusation. Um, obviously, that puts ESPN in a, in a strange position. And they made it very clear in that report, um, you know, stepping aside from the Sean Payton situation for a second, they said, they stand by the report, and they'd like to point out that the FBI, who is the lead investigator in the in the story, has yet to uh, you know come out with yeah. um, any statement. So, based on that, they, they basically said, "Yeah, we don't believe the police, and uh, we're sticking by our story." So, I, I thought that was a pretty bold statement. And then you go back on top of that to this whole Sean Payton thing, which really offered nothing. I mean, it was just it was a glorified opinion piece where basically they they said that you know Sean Payton is, is not is not a nice man and and you know I, that wasn't news to us in New Orleans. We know how he treated some of the uh, 
the media, and certainly the media, the local media has had its problems with them, and certainly the national media does. Um, but, yeah, you're right. This, this definitely feels personal. And I think the most amazing thing to me is that they threw the local media under the bus, that John Barr was prepared to say that the New Orleans media was afraid of yeah. John Payton and, and personally call out, um, what's the CBS guy? Come on, Larry man, Holder. Just moved to, yeah, Larry Holder. To call him out like that um, was shocking to me. Um, and obviously a lot of the New Orleans guys took huge offense to it. Um, some of them kind of, uh, you know, wrote nasty things back about John Barr. Others were, you know, less less attacking, but certainly every bit is offended. And lo and behold, of course, the one guy that kind of stands by John Barr is Jeff Duncan. I, I really think at this point that Duncan's just embraced Nola hates me and I'm, I'm just going to throw fuel on the fire at this point. I really, I really think he's just embraced the bad guy. He, he He's embraced the dark side. But um, but the rest of New Orleans media, I mean, you look at uh, Brad from WWL and Larry from the Times-Picune and um, Gar- Garland Gillen, I mean, they, they are all just like, we're not afraid of Sean Payton. What are you talking about? And so um, at this point, ESPN is, is kind of gone rogue, and they've said, we're our own entity, and this is what it is, and we're not making friends with anybody, and, and we're throwing everyone under the bus, and, we're throwing the New Orleans. We're throwing the police department under the bus. We're throwing media? the Saints under the bus. The media. I mean, so uh, I, I kind of think ESPN at this point they've backed themselves into a corner, and at some point um, they're going to open themselves to some serious litigation or have to issue some serious apologies or something. Well, I mean, unless unless they can prove something. Well, I mean, not even that. I mean, they've got 16 weeks of football, and you'd think, I mean, look, the Saints, they may be 13-3. and They may not have as good a year. They're going to be, as long as number nine is playing quarterback for the Saints, they're going to be relevant, and they're going to be in the playoff chase into December. ESPN's going to want to do stories on them. they got Monday night games. I mean, if I'm the Saints, I'm damn near close to the point to the point, Andrew. I'm like, you know, fuck you, ESPN. You're not. I'm not doing interviews with you. You're not. We're not giving you access. You know, you're you're basically doing a, a Nixon type hit on us where you're you're coming after us. Um, we're not giving you nothing. I mean, so. Well, I kind of think that's happened already, Ralph. And I, I obviously, uh, ESPN's butthurt about it because. I mean, it's gotten ugly. They're at each other's yeah. throats. And, um, you know, obviously John Barr was, was um, he won bad terms with the Saints long before we knew about who he, who he even was um, because he was down in New Orleans making phone calls and basically talking to anyone that would listen. But, uh, you know, I, I felt like it was, uh, it was interesting. The guys that he got to talk about Peyton was Joe Horn, a player that was a bad character influence really on the changes that Sean Payton was trying to make with his personnel. So he let him go. Charles Grant, a player who was involved in a shooting and a murder and released the following season and had some character issues of his own, you know, almost got in a fight with Aaron Brooks on a team plane. So no, he pretty much did. Yeah, pretty, pretty much did. So, um, you know, Charles Grant, Joe Horn, I mean, two kind of, 
I, I, certainly not the, I would say, the best guys that you and can they get. Didn't certainly get guys that had axe to grind with Peyton to begin and with. And they couldn't. They didn't even say things that were awful about Peyton. You know? No, no, not really. I no. mean, so I, I feel like I feel like that story was more just the point. They were trying to they were trying to come across the message to the Saints, almost like. Hey, we haven't given up yet. This 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 war is still on. You know, I feel like it was more of a message and less of a sort of um, any any sort of revealance or good story. Yeah, I mean, I would think it's gonna have it's gonna be really really awkward when they have Monday night games and John Gruden and Mike Tirico are going in there for the pregame meetings on whatever you know on what is it Sunday night or whatever. I mean, that's gonna be really really awkward because the Saints are gonna be like. God damn it! You're just here. You got John Barr here digging up dirt on us, you know. But you know, we'll we'll see. You know, I I would think the Saints probably can't be too dickish to ESPN because the NFL would step in and be like, "Look, you're a Monday Night game. You got to give interviews. You got to give some access." But I mean, you never know. You know, it's funny, Ralph. Is at the beginning of the year, you know, if you had asked any average New Orleans sports fan. Who Mike Florio, <laughs> who Sean Pamplin, who uh, John Barr, I mean, all, all the, you know, even I mean Jeff Duncan, people maybe he was obviously, but the amount of hatred that those four men have developed, really in the last six months, it was kind of unbelievable. I mean, they are legitimately they have become famous people in New Orleans. Well, I, I don't know if you if I ranked them on on the, on the hate scale, I think I'd rank it Barr number one. Duncan, Pamphlon, Pamphillon, and then I don't. To me, I like Florio. Florio was the first national. Well, he's turned, he turned a corner. What's that? He's kind of flipped a 180. On yeah. So I can't believe I'm saying that. I feel dirty. Compliment Florio. But Give me a shower. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we'll see. We'll see how this, this these things go. Um. How concerned are you with what you're – get back to football. How concerned are you with what you're seeing from the offense through the first couple of games? Um, you know, the timing's off a little bit. Uh, it, it, the, the, off, the, the sample size is so small, Ralph. Um, yeah. I'm not concerned with that at all. I'm a little concerned about how things have been going in practice. You know, obviously those, those are more extended reps and. You talk about the new CBA and how teams have not really gotten a chance to get the two-a-days, the extended reps. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a little worried about that. Um, look, I, like I said, as far as the games are concerned, um, it's such a small sample size. And Darren Sproles, who is the catalyst of that offense. You can talk about Jimmy Graham being the biggest weapon. Yeah. But it's, for me, it's really that offense runs through Darren Sproles. And he's the one. It used to be Reggie Bush, but now it's Darren Sproles. And, frankly, Darren Sproles is everything they always hoped that Reggie Bush would be and never was, and um, or at least wasn't on a consistent basis. And so Sproles hasn't really even been in there, and he's going to be there week one. And if Sproles is healthy and they've got – Pierre Thomas and Mark Ingram that they can throw in there as, as um, you know, change of pace backs. And Jimmy Graham is in there. Colson's in there. Those guys have hardly played. I just don't 
see how you can be worried when the Saints have thrown, what, three balls to Colson. They've thrown two balls to Jimmy Graham. I mean, how, how many touches in three games that Darren Sproles had? Four. So um, those are the main guys touching the football. And um, those are the main guys that are going to help the Saints win games. So I don't think you can really attribute um, – Chase Daniel having a hard time finding finding Moy on a on a curl route, you know, as as a, as an offensive. Well, player. I think the interesting thing is, that you, and you mentioned with Sproul, I, you know, it it was you know this offense has been really good. It had been really good, borderline great, you know. It, I mean, it was great in 2009 when they won the Super Bowl, but Jimmy Graham and Darren Sproles just brought it to a whole other level. And look, I'm no coach, and I don't diagram plays and break down films like you do, Andrew, but I'm smart enough to know when they have Jimmy Graham and Colston and Lance Moore and Meacham or whoever at wide receiver, and they put in Sproles, the defense is fucked. They can't yeah, cover them all. Nothing they could do. They, no. You know. But I, I do I do think the Saints offense, I mean, you always have to evolve. You have to throw mm-hmm. a new wrinkle in there. And so – well, we know Graham – we had no idea Graham was going to be this good. I think we knew he had potential. We knew he was raw. But what he did last year, I don't think many of us expected. Um, I know none of us expected what Darren Sproles gave the Saints last year. I mean, none of us – I mean, we, we knew he could be maybe as good as, as Bush, but, I mean, no no one expected this guy to come in and break the NFL records for um, yards from, uh, you know, total yards or whatever for a season. So – no. I, I, it would be nice. I think the key here is this, it would be nice for the Saints to throw another wrinkle that, that helps them consistently, whether it's Joseph Morgan is able to step into the offense and become a consistent deep threat for them, or, you know, it's, it's Mark Ingram making that jump from year one to year two where he just explodes and becomes this dominant running back um, that, that makes plays week after week. And so uh, that, that, it would be nice to see the offense evolve as opposed to take a step back in some way. And that's going to be important, I think, to keep them as the best well, offense in the NFL. Well, the interesting thing, you, you talk about the Saints evolving, and, and it brings up one of the last things I want to touch on with you, and we've tried to figure it out all off season. but I was listening to Ron Jaworski. He was on um, ESPN Radio yesterday when I was driving home, and he was talking about the thing is – what what the Saints will really miss from Sean Payton that he thought it would be was he thought they would be fine as far as the motivational and they have you know Drew Brees and uh, week to week they're going to be okay but the thing that they'll miss with Sean Payton will be is that he's one of those you know there's two kinds of coaches in the NFL there's the, the coach that says look we don't really game plan that much from week to week we just have our plays and we run them perfect and we just run them as as good as we can. He said the Giants are like that. They don't. They do the same thing every week. They just do it so good, you can't stop it. But then he said Sean Payton is a different kind of coach where he's a mad scientist. He's game planning something every week. Got a new wrinkle here, new wrinkle there. And he said that's what he thinks is going to be the hardest thing for the Saints to replace in that Pete Carmichael, yeah, he can call the plays and he can orchestrate the offense, but he doesn't have the imaginative mind of Sean Payton to draw up something new or to change it in-game and yeah. just make the flip and say, hey, they're doing this. We need to get Sproles. Instead of swinging them out deep, we're going to send them over the middle and we're going to get them on a wheel route or whatever and to make those changes in-game. And I wonder if that's going to be the case. Is, is that – are we going to – 
is that going to be something that you worry that could manifest itself where you see the Saints aren't really as quick on their feet, so to speak, during the game because Sean Payton's not there? Definitely. Absolutely. That's a huge concern. I think when you, when you talk about Sean Payton and his best asset, I, I think it's two things. I think he's a great motivator. Um, so I, I, I think the Saints are going to miss that. And, um, you know, I think Joe Vitt is a fantastic motivator too. And I think Greg Williams was a great motivator, but, um, those guys, Vitt and Greg Williams, they're one speed. You know, they know how to, um, go treat a player in one way. And that's to rah, 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 scream, be emotional, get in the guy's face and, and really kind of, bring out the brute force of, of the game. Sean Payton, I think his genius way of motivating players is he's very – he treats every player very differently, and he's very um, careful about manipulating different players' personalities, and he's really good at that. We've talked about this before where you look at how he talked to Gary Cartley before he made that kick against Minnesota, and he's like, you deserve this. You know, you deserve to be here. And, and you know, so it was more of a tempered um, – Yeah manipulation of, of, of his confidence and with Jamal Brown and he was always in his face screaming at him and uh, you know with Shockey a lot of times he, he would say you know hey get away from me and kind of ignore him and so you know he manipulates players in different ways so I think the Saints will miss that and then yeah, from an X's and O's standpoint exactly I think he is one of the best mid-game um, adjusters there is and I think he has a way of exploiting matchups and finding ways to get scrolls lined up against a guy that he's going to be able to beat like a drum or force the defense to focus on one area of the field, and boom, Devery Henderson's hit deep. And so, you know, I, I think he, he will even change plays. He will change whatever the game the game plan, the game format, um, whatever it takes to win. And a lot of times it works, more times than not, you know. So uh, they're definitely going to – I think the offense is – I think they'll still be able to win those blowout games, obviously. You know, there, there's just some days where the offense is so good. You're, you're talking about the two games against Detroit, the two game, the game against the Colts, games like that where it doesn't matter who's calling the plays. It doesn't matter, you know, who's on the sidelines coaching. If it's Cromer, if it's yeah. Pitt, if it's Carmichael, it doesn't matter. The Saints are going to win that game because when the offense is clicking on all cylinders, look, Ralph, you and I could go out there we could call whatever play we want. We could stare at that sheet and say, uh, yeah, this one looks good, and the team's going to Well, win. I mean, there's just, but, there's just certain teams in the NFL, and, and the fact of the matter is it's most of them, is if you don't have a defense that's got at least two guys in your front seven that can get after the quarterback, you're already behind the eight ball against the Saints. You know, I mean, that's just that's just the bottom line. It's not about scheming. It's not about this. It's just if you can't get after Drew Brees and make him uncomfortable, you're already in the hole, um, you know. But, I mean, like, you look at certain games last year. I would say the San Francisco game, they changed up a lot of what they were doing, um, you know. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be – it's going to be interesting, and um, it's just one of those things where you – we don't really know how they're going to miss, miss Sean Payton. You just hope that it's not huge, critical things, you know. Um, yeah. Well, look, I mean, you know, Sean Payton isn't infallible either. Yeah. I think we all remember the end around against Tampa with the fumbled uh, in and around late in the game. So 
you know, he, he's going to make mistakes too. And so I think it's important for us to remember that, um, that, you know, Carmichael, you know, he may make some mistakes late in games that Peyton may not have. Um, but hopefully there'll be some games where he does some things maybe that Peyton wouldn't do and, and it helps us think. Yeah. Before I let you get out of here, Andrew, a couple of things, you know, so this is, this is the sort of the preseason game where it, they sort of call it the dress rehearsal because the, the last week of their year, you know, the starters don't even play, um, and mm-hmm. the rosters are kind of decided. There's not much left to do. This is sort of the dress rehearsal game. They're playing the Texans, a good team, so that'll be interesting. What do you want to see from them that um, will either – you'll say, okay, everything's fine, regular season, we're cool. Or what we, or what would you see that you'd be like, uh-oh, that is a really – that's a bad sign. Now, we know they're not going to have any linebackers, so it could be hard to judge. But what are you, what are you looking for in sort of the main – uh, the main game of the of the exhibition season. I'm gonna make it real simple for you, Ralph. I like simple. I I, I want no injuries. <laughs> no, that's what I want to see. Look, the defense is gonna be horrendous. You're talking about Johnson split out wide. You're talking about Matt Schaub, who's who's been in his own right a pretty decent yeah. quarterback, and an offense that's getting better every year. And they're going to rip the Saints to shreds. They're an offense that runs the ball well. We're going to have Humber at middle linebacker. I don't even know if Barry Roots can be ready to play, but he better be because we don't have anyone else. And, you know, um, Herring's going to get to play and, and Casillas will get to play. But um, the linebackers are going to be terrible. Um, I, I don't know what's up with the corner situation. I know Greer's still out, but, you know, Robinson's trying to make his way back. And I guess Patrick's. It's feeling better now, so they're both going to start. But, you know, Mar- Marquise uh, Johnson is out, so, you know, the nickel and the dime things are kind of unresolved, and, and their backup corners aren't going to look great. So I fully expect the defense to get um, marched up and down the field on, and I'm okay with that because I know that there's a good chance Lofton and uh, Lofton and Greer will be oh, back. Yeah. yeah, and hopefully Hawthorne um, will be back uh, week one. So, I could care less about how the defense does, and I kind of expect them to have their lunch eaten. And offensively, would it make me feel better in a CM score score a lot and, and drive and, and play really well? Yeah, sure. But I, I've already seen that. Yeah. I, I saw 16 games worth of it last year. So, um, you know, I, I don't need to see Jimmy Graham catch five passes and a touchdown. I don't need to see – Colston has a 42-yard reception to prove to me that they can put up points again. Um, so it's real simple, Ralph. Um, get your reps in, get out of there with as little injuries as possible, and that's all I care about. Yeah, I mean, and for all you Saints fans that are panicked, if you happen to have bought the preseason package for your iPad like I did, just go. Yeah, I did that too. Go back and just watch the Jets play. If you want to see problems in the preseason. Yeah, the Saints have a lot of injury issues, but the Jets, Andrew, I don't even know how to describe how bad their offense is. I don't even think they call plays. They, I mean, so if you want to feel good about things, Saints fan, you could do that. Um, and a final thought, um, I don't know how much NFL you've been watching uh Besides the Saints, Andrew, is there anything that has sort of caught your eye 
as we go through training camp and preseason games from other teams, either in the South or in the NFL in general? Well, I will say that, uh, you know, Michael Vick has played about 15 plays, and he's been injured twice now. So, uh, you know, it's funny. Obviously, they have high expectations once again in Philadelphia, but I don't see how, as a fan, you can count on him making it through any length of time. So um, I think they're in for a really bad season. Um, In Seattle, I'm shocked that Russell Wilson, a 5'10 quarterback, is – Potentially going to beat out Matt Flynn for the starting job after all the money they paid Matt Flynn this yeah. offseason. Um, so, and I know Russell Wilson's looked good, but um, that that's probably more an indictment of Flynn than it is, um, you know, saying that you know that 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 Wilson's going to be any kind of savior. So, and that, that that makes me feel bad for Seahawks fans, and that looks like another brutal year um, for them. And I actually watched the Redskins play the Eagles and or I'm sorry, play the Bears, and I wasn't too impressed. Uh, Cutler, I got to say, Cutler looked good. Um, And I got to say, Marion Barber, who I guess – or not Marion Barber. uh, Who's the guy they just signed, their backup running back? Bush. His name? Yeah, Michael Bush, exactly. He he looked very good in short yardage situations, and and that's not Forte's strength. It's not Forte's forte. How did uh, did RG3 look? Well, so RG3 looked absolutely terrible. (laughs) And I've got to say, I was like, oh, wow, this 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 could be fun. Now, I'm hoping the Redskins, if I'm the Redskins and I'm playing the Saints week one, especially given the linebacker situation, I am handing the ball off 50 times in that game. I am running it down your throat over and over and over and over and over. So, But, but the important thing that I noticed, and I, I haven't looked into this deep enough to know the Redskins running back situation, but in that game – they were mostly playing, and then they started a sixth-round draft pick out of Florida International, and he's their four-string running back. So I don't know what's going on with the guys in front of them. I know Tim Hightower, I think he's banged up, and he's supposed to be their starter, but um, that's potentially great news for the Saints because if they have injuries at running back and they don't have very good running backs, they're not going to be able to, to put the run game and, and impose the run game on the Saints which is going to put things in the hands of RG3. And he, he looked he looked worse than Michael Vick to me. In other words, he ran out of the pocket. He Once he got out of the pocket, he panicked a lot of times and would try to just run for yardage. And, look, he, he's, he's a freak athlete, so he's going to make plays. But I just don't think he's at a place, based on what I saw, that he can hurt the Saints consistently. So I, I kind of think, I'm be honest with you, Ralph, as long as the Saints have – some semblance of players on defense, and they're they're not completely banged up week one. You know, starting a skeleton crew, <laughs> I feel pretty good about that matchup. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I have um, noticed in the preseason, besides the the, hideo- the, the hideous refereeing, and we touched that on, we've touched on that. Oh my it, god, it's, 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 it's horrible, and the referees they don't even know. Like, forget about like judgment call. Is it pass interference? Is it not? They don't even. They, they don't even know the rules. Like how mm-hmm. like like when you have a penalty on defense and the defense intercepts the ball, the defense doesn't get to keep the ball. You know, they don't even know basic rules and what sometimes they don't even have the right down marker. It's <laughs> it's it's bad and it's going to be it's going to be horrendous and people are going to start flipping the fuck out 
when they start costing games. But I'm going to give people a super deep sleeper team, um, and I've watched their, their first games. Minnesota, I think they're going to be pretty good. Christian Ponder has made a big leap from last year to this year, and I think Detroit's going to slide back, and I think the Bears' defense is old. And going to get in. Yeah, I think the Bears are going to be terrible. And I think the ba- everybody's picking the Bears as like their sort of like chic Super Bowl team or whatever. I think Minnesota is going to surprise him, and I think Minnesota is going to be second in the Central. You know, I could be wow. could be wrong, but we'll see. Um, Andrew, as always, thanks for joining us. Everybody, go to SaintsNation.com. Read his stuff. It's funny. He gets angry. Um, which I I enjoy a lot. Um, I'm hoping that ESPN will do something else, break try to break a story so Andrew can have a nice long rant, and that'll get me ready for the season. Um, so Andrew, as always, thanks for joining us, and um, we'll talk to you next week as uh, it's almost time for real football, my friend. Can't wait.